بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وبعد. So we finished the first session by just giving an illustration of an argument for the existence of Allah and that is by first of all establishing that everything that we see around us is muhdath, is originated and that we can clearly see by the fact that there is life followed by death, followed by life, followed by death and events take place, hawadith, uh, events take place and they came to be after not being so we've established everything is muhdath, it is originated uh, because if it wasn't it would be eternal and it's not eternal, it's clearly it's not eternal so whatever is originated must have an originator and there can only be four possible explanations there can only be four things which originate something the first is pure nothingness and we established that cannot be true cannot be true pure nothingness second is nature itself and this is obviously the only escape that atheists and naturalists have they can only work on nature and you know the laws within nature and random interactions are th the only thing that they have to basically go upon and all of the theories explanations models and so on and so forth have to be built upon these foundations right the law-like behavior within nature and random interactions so we said we gave some arguments and reasons as to why that cannot be cannot be correct and cannot be true and uh, this then leads us to the third possible explanation which is just to simply say there's an endless chain of causes right so one way you, you would uh, present that would be to say well some aliens came and they you know they seeded life on this earth and then you'd have to go back to who created them and you go back you know in an endless chain so an endless chain is not possible either and that only leaves the fourth possibility which is an uncreated eternal being now these people, what they do is, they, from the very beginning, they dismiss that as even a possibility. Which shows, obviously, their arrogance and their conceit. And then the only thing they've got left with is, is the three options that we said. And that's why when you look at what these people are saying today now, and you look at their theories, you'll see one of them, Lawrence Krauss. Uh, you know, he, he writes a book saying that the universe can come out of nothing. A universe can come out of nothing. And then they start bringing all these, you know, justifications, you know, of negative and positive, and they both cancel out, which means nothing. It's just ridiculous nonsense, anyway. Conjectures. Right? So they're, they're actually using the argument of nothing, nothingness. They're present today, these people are using this argument. And then, obviously, the second one, which is nature, there are people present today using the argument of, of nature, which is obviously the Big Bang and evolution and things like that. And then you have those people who. When pushed in a corner, they will resort to the argument of like aliens. Why? Because they've had to concede that there is, obviously there's, there's you know, knowledge and information and, and there's something in DNA, for example, that, that simply cannot be just blind chance, right? So when pushed in that corner, they have to say, well, possibly it could be, we could posit that there were some aliens, you know, advanced aliens that came and whatever else. So they'll, they'll, they'll go in that direction, but only when they're pushed. But otherwise, it's number two, 
that is where they where they are on which is the argument of of nature itself so we said that none of that really holds when we analyze it in detail and that's why in the whole of history there has never ever ever been any atheists or you know except among a very small number of mankind this is something that's very very recent and very new a very recent very new and so for that reason we're going to look in our second part of this session inshallah ta'ala look at some of the greatest tyrants that walked upon this earth from them is nimrud and fir'aun and just look at them and even even they they weren't they weren't atheists out of conviction they knew inwardly that they are marbub and makhluq right they knew that they are created and originated but it was something else it was conceit and arrogance that really led them to to their disbelief so we look at these two and likewise another group called the dahriya which are mentioned in the quran so those which are mentioned in the quran which essentially either spoke the word of atheism or who basically assumed for themselves the qualities of rububiyyah right that they have control over life and death and things like that right so there's three categories or three uh, instances so the first of them is nimrud and he was in the time of ibrahim alayhi salam in surah al-baqarah allah azawajal he mentions a dispute or an argument that took place so he says this is just a verse or two after ayatul kursi Alam tara ila alladhi haja Ibrahim fi rabbihi an ataahu Allahu al-mulk Have you not seen or considered the one who argued with Ibrahim about his lord just because he had been given some authority right so this was the man to whom Allah had given him power and authority upon 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 the earth and so he wrongly thought by way of this power and authority that as if he you know as if he does not have a lord as if he doesn't have one to whom he will answer so he became arrogant and so he began to basically claim some of the attributes of rububiyyah like giving life and taking life so in this argument allah azawajal says uh, have you not seen the one who disputed with ibrahim regarding his lord just because allah had given him some dominion so ibrahim said to him my lord is the one who gives life and who takes life is one who gives life causes life and who causes death so he said that this this nimrud replied qala ana uhyi wa umit he said i give life and i take life and what he meant by this was that i can take a man i can put him to prison and i can starve him and i can cause him to cause him to die and likewise i can bring for example a pregnant woman or two pregnant women i can kill one of one of them with a child and i can allow the other one to live right so i can i can bring about life so ibrahim al islam he said to him qala ibrahim fa inna allah yati bi shamsi min al mashriq fati biha min al maghrib so he said for indeed allah he's the one who brings the sun from the east so bring it from the west so the one who disbelieved was confounded and Allah does not guide an an oppressive a transgressing people now 
if we reflect upon this situation here, what we see here is this, this Nimrud, all he's done is that he's simply been able to control some of the causes and effects which Allah has put in the creation. So because he's been able to control them, he's now assumed somehow that he has some of the qualities of Rububiyyah, right? So for example, starving is a cause of death. Clearly, starving, Allah has made starvation as a cause of death. People die because of starvation. Right? Allah has created his creation in that way that if you do not have food or drink, drink for a few days, food for a longer days, weeks, for example, you will die because your body is created to function on nourishment, nutrition, and so on and so forth, and, and, and water and whatever else. Right? And likewise, from the causes of death, or if you are killed, or if you know some trauma or something is brought to your body, you will die. So all he's done is he's managed to control these ways and means which have actually been placed and put in place by Allah And because of that control, he's now assumed somehow that he doesn't have a Lord. And he's assumed some of the qualities of Rububiyyah. And this is similar to what these people are doing today from the atheists and the materialists. All they're doing is they're studying the, the creation of Allah and they are manipulating aspects of it and they think that they are the masters. Right? Like, I'll give you one example. Just the other day I was watching uh, this uh, seminar, this, this uh, scientific... Um, basically this, this guy was speaking about how sound and vision, we have, both, we have been able to digitize sound and vision. Right? So we can put sounds into recording and we can put what we see into images right so you have images and, and, and audio files basically right but what about smell can we digitize smell so this this so this guy basically speaking first of all just about vision how vision you know we have all all the colors that an eye is able to per perceive millions and millions of colors they can be reduced simply to three colors red green and blue right if you mix red green and blue and the various you know shades of them you get millions and millions of colors you have red green and blue then you have one to 256 shades of red green and blue and when you combine different combinations you can come up with like 16 million colors or something right and i can actually perceive whatever it's so he said what about what about smell so with smell it's actually more complicated right you can smell trillions of smells not just millions as in the case of the color with, with, with the eye that's because with 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 the eye like red green and blue there are just three parameters but with the smell there's actually 400 different parameters right so when you when you smell things it's like like the the, the, the dog has got an extremely sensitive uh, nose right so the smelling capacity is absolutely phenomenal like trillions of different types of smells it can detect and distinguish between them as well so this guy what what, what this is this is a technology it, it's a it's a it's a future technology uh, conference so basically what what he's doing is he's trying to digitize smell in the same way that you digitize sound and vision but there's actually a difference between the two with sound and vision you do not need the actual 
material. You, you don't need the ear and you don't need the eye right, to be involved in that process. But with smell, you have to have the actual, whatever it is in the nose, whatever's doing the, 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 you know, detecting the smells. So what they've done is they've taken actual tissues, I don't know where from, maybe a dog or something else, and they've created basically a device which is plugged into technology, into this living tissue. And so for it to work, they have to keep the tissue alive, which means they have to feed it. So what they've done basically is they've merged biological life directly with technology and computing power. And through it, they can now characterize smells, just like you can distinguish between red, blue, green, and all the various shades, or you can distinguish between, uh, you know, like sounds, right? So then he's speaking about the actual applications of this technology. So this technology could be, for example, and it's, it's, it, they've actually created the, 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 the actual device. Right? It's like an octopus-shaped thing with uh, uh, holes where the, 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 the particles come through and it smells. And then it's got a living tissue underneath. right? So it would mean, for example, let's say you're in an airport. These devices would be along the corridor. So if someone was coming along with, let's say, some explosives, that would be able to detect, detect it straight away. And it could distinguish that smell of that explosive from a, a million trillion other types of smells because everything has a very specific type of smell, right? You could even detect, like, you know, you as a person, like your sweat or whatever else, right? So it's very, very extremely sensitive. So the point, the point that I'm making here is that look at how they are exploiting what already exists of the ways and means, the causes and the effects within Allah's creation. And so exploiting that for whatever, you know, for facilitating it for beneficial interests, for, you know, business, for whatever else it is. And then thinking as if they are the masters and they are the ones who are the gene, you know, the, 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 that this is something that they must be lauded, you know, and then when you when you listen to these people speaking every now and then you'll you'll hear some absolutely you think is this man insane or what he'll say yes well it looks like evolution produced this tremendous what they'll throw in like a little sentence here and there right and ascribing it to evolution so so the point that, that we're making here with with nimrud is that he simply took and manipulated causes and effects which we can know either by direct experience, like in the case of starving someone we know from experience, starvation will lead to your death, or by investigation and study, by scientific investigation. We can come and we can discover causes and effects and, and systems and we can manipulate them. So just the ability to do that, this Nimrud thought that somehow you know, he became arrogant and he doesn't realize that uh, he does not have independent control. And he cannot independently create life of his own accord, right? He cannot independently generate life, right? But he's just simply playing with the ways and means. This is like a type of deception. And so this is the same trick that you see these people are playing about, you know, with, with, with biological life and information and genetic engineering and so on and so forth and whatever else, thinking as if they are the, are the creators when they are not, right? They are just, they are just playing with the, with the creation of Allah Azza wa Jal. So anyway, the point being here is 
that Nimrud is an example of a man who was an arrogant uh, tyrant and you know deep inwardly deep he knew that he is marbub and makhluq right he's just pure plain arrogance on his behalf so the point that we are making is that there was never really any atheist in in history really who deep down really truly believed right that nature generates life of its own accord or things like that these people weren't really weren't really there likewise second example of the pharaoh the pharaoh and Fir'aun, another arrogant tyrant, he said to Musa Islam, Wama Rabbul Alameen. What is this Lord of the Worlds that you are talking about? This is arrogant denial. And likewise, he said in another ayah, uh, uh, Fir'aun, he said to, to Musa and Harun, Qala, ya Musa. He said, So who is your Lord? Who is your Lord, O Musa? And the reply of Musa Islam, he said, Qala, he said, He said, Our Lord is the one who gave everything its creation and then he guided it. Now, this argument here, remember, this is the greatest tyrant, what appears to be the greatest atheist on the face of the earth in that time. The greatest tyrant. And from the greatest of the messengers was Musa Islam, and he gave him from the greatest of the arguments for Allah's Rububiyyah. We need to truly understand this argument here, which is that Allah gave everything its creation, then he guided it. What does this mean? When we return back to the Mufassirun, we see that they explain that uh, from, from the Tabi'een and other than them, that Allah Azawajal, he gave everything its particular form of creation, meaning its physical appearance and form and structure and then he gave it its guidance what does it mean its guidance it means that he then inspired it as to its habitat where it's going to live and the nature of its food and the nature of it of, of, of its behavior and its spouse right so everything to do with that particular organism allah guided it and inspired it to behave and function in the way that it actually functions right so when we th this is a tremendous argument for Allah's rububiyyah and so we're going to stick with this for a short while just to elaborate upon it so we understand how in a modern context how we can how we can clearly see what it, what is what, it, what how this is a powerful powerful argument so if we if we take for example this discipline or this this uh, what we have now growing the growing field of robotics robotics right if you do a search you can just search it and find a video it's it's called mit robot backflip mit robot backflip you'll come with a video of this uh, this is massachusetts institute of technology uh, where they developing uh, you know robotics and they have this dog-like creature that's four legs and a body in the middle there's no head or anything and i think it's called the, the spot mini and you look at it, it's able to do backflips and run 30 miles something like 30 miles an hour and able to get up and you know do all sorts of uh, maneuvers and things like this if you think about this what is it in this robot that is making it to function the way that it functions 
Is it the physical makeup? Is it the, the, the you know, the, 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 the steel, the whatever else, you know, the, the, the plastic and all the things that go into? That's, that's just physical, that's nothingness. But what is it that's making it do what it does? Right? There's vision built in. There's computation built in. There is obviously this hardware, software layers. And then the software is programmed uh, to give that robot its particular function. Right? Now, if we move to another one, there's other types of robots. You have uh, Boston Dynamics have their own robot, another type of robot. You get some of these which are human-like. They're able to do backflips and they're able to run and detect an obstacle and they'll jump over it. Right? So again, what's the difference between this Spot Mini, the, the, the dog-like one, and this human-like one? Because physically, they're just the same. It's the same material. You know, metals, plastics, you know, screws, whatever. It's exactly the same. What's actually the difference between the two things? Right? What's the difference? It's the, it's the programming and the coding that's gone behind how they behave and how they react. Right? It's the programming and the coding behind the two. So, here what we see is humans creating something and then giving it its guidance. Right? That dog, that robot, that dog, has its particular form of creation, meaning its form, its structure, and it's been given its guidance in the form of programming, in the form of software, sitting on hardware, right? And likewise, in the case of, the, of, 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 of this human as well. There's also another one, you'll find many of these, but there's another one of the, of the I think, Chinese or Japanese, and they've, they, they've got their own robots, and they created a, a football match between two teams of robots. And, you know, subhanAllah, you just wonder between the creation of Allah Azawajal and the creation of, of, of humans. And so you see them simulating uh, these robots are trying to, like, play a game of football. And then they're tripping all over the place and then they're missing. And then, they, you know, and the people have to come on, the team has to come onto the, the pitch and put them back in order again. And they just, it's, it's like disaster. You know, it's, it's everything going wrong. So, so uh, the point being that this is the extent of what you are able to produce with ilm, with your knowledge, with your wisdom, with your choice, with your power. And it's actually laughable what you've produced. It's laughable what you've produced, right? And clearly behind it, you, you are programming logic and uh, information and calculations into what you created, right? So, so you are the creators and you are giving guidance to the thing that you've created. And behind all of this, what is it? It is information. Is information, decisions, and so on and so forth. So this is, in, it, in and of itself, this is clear evidence that man himself is originated and created by a masterful creator. Because all of his processes, the, the vision of the eyes, the sound, the processing of these affairs, that, you know, they go to the brain, the brain then calculates and computes it then makes sense of, for example, a smell, a particular smell, and creates a representation of it somehow. It remembers it, likewise with the vision. All of these things, all of these things are clear evidence that there is knowledge, wisdom, will, and power behind biological life. This is undeniable. So when you ask an atheist, for example, explain to me the vision of this robot, 
and the decision-making capacity of this robot? Is it there by way of prior knowledge, wisdom, will and power? Or just randomness? Obviously he's got no choice except to say it is knowledge, will, wisdom, will and power. And so then how can you deny that for the creation of man? Right? You simply can't make that denial. Obviously they have other arguments they'll bring in order to justify that denial, but all of it is sophistry. It is sophistry. And that's why, as I said to you before, they have this huge problem of, of uh, explaining, uh, uh, explaining information. I'm going to read to you uh, a paper here. I've got this as a paper. In fact, I'm going to read to you two things. First thing I'm going to read to you is how these people are really, really scared. Right? They are scared that people's intuition, their, their, their natural fitra, is able to see through this nonsense. Right? The more they understand, the more they study about biological life, and the more they have to speak about it in what they teach, the more they become scared that as students come, and we, we use the language that we forced to use, they're going to start holding these beliefs about creator and this and whatever. Right? They're really scared. So I wrote an article on this uh, on about atheism.net and it's about basically the, these people when, when they study Allah's creation they are forced to use certain types of language language that implies you know like machines and regulation and design and you, you can't escape using this language so what these what these two guys these atheists very arrogant uh, atheists uh, they are saying is that basically the, the, the title of the uh, paper is why machine information metaphors are bad for science and science education. So what he's saying is that when we study the cell and biological life and we start using all of this language like explaining life as if it's like, like there's machines in the cell which carry information and then which encrypt information then they decrypt information and then they put things together and they make decisions and all of this and we treat like machines. We, we, you know, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't use this language. Why? Because these students might, might somehow you know, fall into pseudoscience. <coughs> right? So very, very scared of, of, of this type of language. And so this, this shows, like, it shows the utter arrogance of these people. Now one of the things that they say here, I just want to read it to you. Uh, he says, we, we have to be wary of using scientific metaphors that bolster design-like misconceptions about living systems. He says, we argue that the machine information metaphor, meaning speaking about life as if like machines and information, computers, code, encryption, decryption, right, sending a message, receiving a message, right, combining messages, making decisions, right? He says that we argue that the machine information metaphor in biology not only misleads students and the public at large, but cannot but even direct the thinking of the scientists involved. Meaning that not only will it mislead the students, but even the people who are using the language, they themselves will be affected. Right? So even the teachers, the professors who are using this language, you are going to be affected as well. You're going to start believing in a creator as well and design whatever. 
Right, so we need to get this language out of the classroom, out of science. That's what they're basically saying. Right, look at the arrogance of these people. Right, this arrogance you're seeing displayed here is the same arrogance of those people to whom messengers were sent. Right, they they physically saw the ayat of Allah just like these people are physically seeing the ayat of Allah and this is a manifestation of their arrogance. So he says, and therefore. So using this language will affect those scientists and even the kind of questions that they're going to ask and how they approach the questions, right? So for example, there undoubtedly were very good reasons to pursue the Human Genome Project during the 1990s and the early part of the 21st century, meaning that they studied the genome in detail and they said, then he says, but you know, when we start speaking about the blueprint, the blueprint for how human beings are made, Right, to start using this language now is very dangerous. Uh, he goes on and using this kind of language. You can see what you can see, the, the, the arrogance which, which, which is here. So on the one hand, you can see how they're extremely scared of this whole notion of machines, information, encryption, code, decryption, whatever else. But on the other hand, you have other people. Well, here's a paper now. In the Nature magazine, this is the top science magazine in the, in the world, right? And so here's a paper, Life, Logic and Information. Life, Logic and Information. Right, so this guy here is saying we need to scrap this whole language that we're using, right, of machines and information or whatever because, you know, it, it's brainwashing students. And on the other hand, it's something that you simply cannot escape from. So here you've, you've got life logic information and focusing on information flow will help us to understand better how cells and organisms work. So what this guy is basically saying is that we need to study cells from the angle of information and logic because that's basically what the cell is really running upon. There's information is being transported and moved around. Different parts of the cell are all aware of that same information. And then there is some processing logic that is taking place as a result of which decisions are made within the cell. Right? And obviously this is a very simplistic description. So what this guy is saying is that we need to find a way as to how we can study the flow of information in detail within a cell, right? And if you just look at like some of the language, you know, some of the language here, information management, the study of cells is likely to be particularly effective for this program because the cell is the simplest entity that shows complete biological phenomena, continues. Two phases of work are required for such a program, meaning he's actually speaking of a whole program, designing a whole program as to how we are even going to tackle the subject of studying the flow of information. Then he says, two phases of work are required for such a program to describe and catalogue the logic circuits. The logic circuits. So this guy over here, this Piglucci or whatever you call him over here, like he, you know, he's squirming at, at this language here right now, what, what the language which is being used. Right? To catalogue the logic circuits that manage information right squirming again manage information right 
So he says in cells, and to simplify analysis of cellular biochemistry so that it can be linked to the logic circuits. So in other words, we need to fathom out what, what's happening in terms of information. How is information being carried through the molecules? And how is it connected to the logic circuits? Because there's logic circuits within, within, the, within the cell as well. Right? And then a bit further, uh, for the first phase, the logic circuits that separate, op operate within cells need to be broken down into the individual segments that carry out specific computational functions. One example of such a module is the negative feedback loop, which then operates, which often operates in a homeostatic manner. Another example is the positive feedback loop. Continues. Uh, combinations of modules will produce more sophisticated outcomes. For example, reversible toggle, reversible toggle, switches, timers, and oscillators all in the cell. Switches, timers, oscillators. Right? I mean, this guy speaking. This is all engineering, you know, engineering. And this this man must be having a heart attack right now with this this language right here. So he says the behavior of the outputs from modules will let, will be influenced by the shapes of the response. Uh, got all that. Modules could act as a short-term memory device, as seen in a G protein locked in a GPT bound state, or as a long-term digital memory device, as in the case of DNA. A long-term digital memory device, which is what basically DNA DNA basically is. Right, so DNA is like, like an oracle database, a MySQL database of code, right, which is taken out and you know uh, 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 transcribed or translated when, when needed. Anyway, look at all that. The point being from all of this, these people are seeing the ayat of Allah with their, with their, with their, with their own eyes. Right? The hujjah is qa'ima. So as I said at the beginning, we are not disputing about, there's no dispute about Allah's existence and that the creation is muhdath. Right, that is makhluq, it's marbub. The evidence by fitra, by his, by aql, and by nakal, the four things that we looked, it's already established. That's not even dispute. We're not going to, we're not arguing that. We're just going to argue and dispute your sophistry and how you've constructed these layers of deception, right, to corrupt the fitra of the people and to corrupt their intellect. And we're going to tear that down to pieces. That's what, the, that's what the discussion is about. Do you understand? So we were saying that this Fir'aun, we were saying basically this argument, uh, there, there, there is everything now within developments in science, in artificial intelligence, in robotics, in what they call biomimicry. There's a, a field called biomimicry, right, where we take biological organisms, we study them, and we get design ideas from them to solve human problems. Uh, you can find, you know, this stuff is all... Online, there are whole millions of research grants, and you know, uh, it's all out there. That is clear evidence that biological life is designed and it runs on information. Now, the arrogance of these people does not stop. Just like we saw with Fir'aun, his arrogance never stopped. The arguments of Musa al-Islam, he rejected them. Then he saw the two miracles, he rejected them. Then he saw the additional, you know, the, the calamities, the, the plagues, he rejected them as well. Right? All of that he continued on. Same with these people. These people, they're trying to solve this problem of information. Where did information come from? 
So one of the ways that they use is they try to they try to bring these clever labels and terms, right? So there's a label which is called teleology. Teleology. This means that the purpose behind something. The purpose behind something. This is what it means. Teleology. That there is a purpose behind something. So what they do is they invent all these fancy labels and they say, oh, uh, there's a new label called teleonomy. And what this means is it explains how information came about. Right? So now they're trying to find natural, a natural explanation as to how information first appeared, on top of which biological life was then able. Do you understand? Right? They're trying to find naturalistic. And we know this is, this is Bartil because information can only come from one with knowledge. Right? It's, it's, there's, there's, no other, there's no other way about this. Information is only meaningful to one with, with knowledge. Information doesn't exist unless there's one to make sense of that knowledge. Right? But they're trying to make it look all natural as if information came about through natural means. This is just playing sophisticated tricks on, on people. It's like saying to a child that the bottle came on the table and nobody put it there. These are, these are more sophisticated versions of the simplest of deceptive tricks that you play on children. That's all it is. But it's done with all the trickery and deception of cryptic language, detailed technical language, and the use of language as deception. That's how it's done. Right? But reduced to its simplicity, that's all they're doing. They're, they're mocking your mind. They're mocking with your, with your basic senses, your basic reason, your fitra. That's all it is. Right? With layers and layers of complicated, you know, so that so you're the one who feels stupid and ignorant, and they're the ones who are basically enlightened and whatever. But it's not. You have to penetrate through that sophistry. So anyway, Fir'aun, this argument of Musa alayhi salam, our Lord is the one who gave everything its creation and then give it its guidance. Right? So understand this proof. You see that in robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, even computer software these days. All of that is clear evidence that biological life has an originator and a creator behind it. So anyway, this is the second of the great tyrants. And even he was not really, he didn't really believe that inwardly. It was just his arrogance that led him to say that. Inwardly, he knew and he was convinced of the Lord of Musa Islam. And when he, when he perished, then he said, I now believe in the Lord of, of that, you know, the, the, that Moses and his people believe in. It was too late then. So, so the point being, just like Fir'aun had just nothing but shubuhat, likewise these people have nothing but shubuhat. The proofs are already established, right? It is just the shubuhat that they are bringing in order to confound the truth. And so what they do with the shubuhat is they, they, they protect them uh, in, in, in a very sophisticated way. And the only difference is in the level of sophistication that is used. The third group that we want to mention here, that in general the atheists are the Dahriya, and they are mentioned in the Quran. These people, they are from the pagan Arabs. Uh, not all the pagan Arabs were upon the same thing. Some of them uh, denied resurrection. Uh, some of them, you know, uh, denied uh, creation, things like that. So from them were a group called the Dahriya. And so Allah, Allah says in Surah Al-Jathiyah, Surah 45, verse number 24, وَقَالُوا مَا هِيَ إِلَّا حَيَاتُنَا الدُّنْيَا نَمُوتُ وَنَحْيَا وَمَا يُهْلِكُنَا إِلَّا الدَّهْرِ They say that there is nothing except the life of this world. We live and we die 
and nothing destroys us except time. But they have no knowledge of this. They are simply just conjecturing. It's all just conjecture. So basically these people, when you look at the uh, tafsir, these are people who believed that life and death is just simply a continuous cycle and every like three, four thousand years, the universe of the world regenerates and comes in a, you know, this is what they used to believe. And this is no different to what the current atheists believe except that they have longer time scales, right? They're speaking in billions or trillions of years, right? The universe is eternal. It's just constant cycle of, you know, expansion, implosion, ex you know, they have these different ideas, but it's basically the same thing, what is being said here. They deny creation and they deny resurrection. Do they have any evidence for that? No. It is nothing but pure conjecture on their behalf. And that's exactly the same with these people today. Everything that they are saying, with the multiverses, the, you know, all of these other things that they have, the oscillating universe, all of that is pure conjecture and nothing else. With not an ounce of scientific evidence. That's all it is. So, uh, now, from all of this, these are the three people or three categories mentioned in the Qur'an from which we can see an aspect of, you know, atheism, right? And these people have always been the minority in creation. Why? Because Allah's existence is in the fitra. It is through his, it is through uh, sound reason, and it is through revelation. It is so deeply embedded that there wasn't really any large groups of atheists or things like that. However, we need to look at why and how this you know, uh, actually came to be and we need to look at this uh, atheism and uh, understand its various types and what they are basically saying. So we'll, we'll speak now, before we move to atheism, I want to speak about another, another group in the middle, right? So, there's, so we have people who believe in a creator and revealed books and resurrection, right? So for example, there's Muslims. And then those who have a, an altered religion, like the Jews and the Christians. Right? But before we go all the way to atheists on this side, there's another group in the middle here that we need to understand. And this group in the middle, they are known as deists or deism. Deism. What these people are saying, deism, is they know there has to be a creator. Right? Obviously... The proof is so compelling that they can't deny that there's a creator because it's such a compelling proof. So they believe that there was a creator. He created the creation, but then he's got no involvement in it whatsoever. He just left it, wasn't interested in it, and had no connection to it at all. Now what does this mean? This means that therefore there is no revelation. There is no prophethood, there is no messengership, and therefore there is no such thing as like what you know religion. So in other words, there are there are people who exist who believe in a creator, but they are they are deists. They don't they reject what what they call organized religion. So they don't believe in a book or revelation or in prophethood or in all the you know the, the other things of a resurrection. And accountability, all that is, they completely deny all of basically of the pillars of, you know, many of the pillars of, of Iman. So these are known as deists, and these people exist. And, and obviously, they know that the, the, the proof for a creator is compelling and cannot be denied. 
So many of the atheists, you will see them, atheists who, you know, they, they won't go to from atheism to, for example, Islam or Judaism or Christianity. They'll go from atheism to deism because they have many other shubuhat that relate to, for example, revelation, prophethood, resurrection, and things of that nature. So these people do exist, and we need to be clear that it is not just, you know, religion and then atheism. There's actually something in between known as deism as well. And people can fluctuate from here to here and here to here. So once that's clear, once we're clear about that, we now move into atheism. So atheism essentially it's denial of the existence of a creator or a maker for this creation. However, they won't, because there's different types amongst them, they won't say, some of them won't clearly say, I reject the existence of a creator. They will say, I don't believe there is proof for a creator. I don't believe there's evidence for a creator. So we can divide them into two categories. The first category are those whom we call the strong atheists. Strong atheism. These are the ones who will come out and they will basically blatantly say, there is no God outright. There is no God at all. Right? And they will say, uh, you know, so, so these are people who have certainty in what they are saying. These we call the strong atheists. Then you have, now th these people are not the most intelligent of people for making this claim, for reasons I will explain. Then you have the weak atheists. They are the ones who will basically, they won't make an outright bold claim, there is no God, there is no creator, but they will say, I don't know. I don't know whether there is one or there isn't one. It's just that the evidences haven't been established with me. So I don't know either way. These people are more intelligent than the, the previous ones and they are more honest in what they are saying. And this is because the first group who say there is no God, if you ask them, well, okay, tell me what, what, what criterion or what evidence would satisfy you that there is a creator? Because if you're making a denial, obviously you've made that denial on the basis of some criterion. What is that criterion that you have used to say there is no God? And so this is where the contradiction comes in because according to them, the only route to knowledge is science and the scientific method. And the scientific method can only deal with what they call nature and natural causes and effects but the creator is outside of nature so science itself cannot give you that answer it cannot determine the answer of whether there is a creator or there is not a creator right so these people when they come out and they make the claim there is no creator this is nothing but pure conjecture on their behalf this is pure conjecture right because for you to make that claim, you have to provide, okay, what, what's the criterion that you've used? And the, the, the answer is, there is no criterion that can ever be used to answer this question. So this means that what you're saying is nothing but pure conjecture. So now many of the other atheists have realized this is a flaw in the argument, right? That you can't come out and say outright, there is no creator. Because then you put yourself in a, in a very difficult position. So therefore what they've done is, they, they've, they've, they've changed the statement a little bit. And they said, well, you know, by atheism, we simply mean that anyone, anyone who makes the claim God exists, we don't believe there's sufficient proof for that. 
We don't believe there's sufficient evidence for that. Right? So they're trying to escape because they're in a corner now. And then again, the same problem. Okay, well, tell me what is the nature of the evidence that, that will determine this question? And so we come to the same problem again. So anyway, point being, what you need to know is a strong atheist to make the outright bold and audacious claim, there is no creator. And then you have the ones who are ag agnostic. So these people are just there in shock. They're, they're in shock with respect to their atheism. They don't really know. They're confused. And they haven't, you know, um, one way or the other. So um, the reality is that the evidence exists. As we've already established, there's no doubt about the, crea about, about, about the Creator. And all these people have doubts and conjecture, conjectures in various different forms and manifestations. Right? So when you deny a Creator, you are forced to explain life using purely material means. Right? So with atheism, it comes as a package. Now we're going to move into the packages that come with atheism. If you deny that there is knowledge, wisdom, will, power, and a purpose behind life, then all you've got left to play with is matter and nothing else. And so with this matter, you now it comes with a package deal. A package deal. We'll come and look into that, inshallah. With the prophets and messengers, the prophets and messengers, there is a creator with knowledge, will, power, wisdom. There is a purpose behind creation. There is truth. There is justice. There is resurrection. There is accountability. There is right and wrong, halal and haram, moral and immoral, beneficial and harmful. All these things exist within creation. right? So along with that comes everything else. There is beneficial knowledge. There are beneficial sciences. There are righteous actions. There are absolutes of right and wrong. There is accountability to establish justice. All these things come together. That's what the prophets and messengers come with. With this now, once you move to this direction and you deny a creator, then you are forced to make a purely material explanation of life. Meaning, there's only, only matter and nothing else. Right? So this is now where they have to start resorting to all the deceptive technical language to deceive you into thinking that life comes about by itself, right? And all these things come about by random interaction. This is all now that where, where the games are being played in terms of the actual language being used. So how and why did this happen? How and why did this happen? Well, in brief, for shortage of time, uh, we'll simply say that during the 19th, 18th, 19th and 20th century, uh, people began to study nature and the causes within nature and they realized that we've learnt a tremendous amount about nature and what they, what they said, well, they, they, they devised a system which they call methodological naturalism which basically means we'll treat nature as if it's just nature and nothing else and we'll study it in terms of causes and effects and ways and means. And we'll learn a tremendous about nature in this manner. So what they've done, if you think about it, there's three things. There is the sabab. A sabab is the cause. There is the musabab, which is the effect. And then there is the musabib. Musabib, which is the one who placed the cause and the effect. 
right? So there is the sabab, the cause, and there is the effect, and there is the play, the one who caused the cause and the effect, the musabib. So what they do is they eliminate the musabib and just deal at the causes and the effects. So to explain, like for example, the sun gives off light, that light is you know, the energy that then allows plants to grow and the plants in turn grow and they lead to something else. So we have cause and effect here, right? So they will study that process of how this all takes place. What is the energy from the sun? How is the leaf absorbing the energy? How is, like, then it goes on to all the photos, all, all the rest of it, whatever, yeah? So they are saying, let's study the, the sabab and the musabab. And we will gain tremendous amount of knowledge about nature. And what they've done is they've eliminated the musabib, the one who is the placer of the cause and the effect. So in this manner, what they did was basically they eliminated the musabib from the from the entire you know equation of everything. Uh, you know, like if I was to give the same example I gave to you before of a cash machine or a 3D printer, right? You can study the 3D printer and the cash machine and look at the cause effect mechanisms, and you can you can reverse engineer what's happening and then reproduce it yourself. Just ship it over to China or Japan and then have it produced the next morning or whatever else. You can do all that, and you are you are you know you are you are just looking at the sabab and the musabab, but you've eliminated the musabib, right? But you don't need the musabib to decipher what is really taking place in this cash machine and the 3D printer. You can reverse engineer and make it yourself once you've studied the ways and means, right? So so you, so you can eliminate the musabib, but this is what they are doing. They are eliminating the musabib, who is the one who ties together the causes and their effects. Right, so uh, the causes and the effects we can see them in every in every you know whether we look at the liver and the heart and the kidneys and the brain and the eyes and the ears how everything is coordinated in in, in a certain manner there is sabab there is the, there are causes and effects but there is the musabib who put them all together in the way that they that they are so what they began to do was to basically study nature in this way they made great advancements and so they developed a system of studying nature in which they eliminated the musabib, the khaliq, right, the sani' from, from the equation. And so they you know, call this methodological naturalism, right, then they turn this into philosophical natural, which then became like, like a religion, like a philosophy, that yes, there is no creator, and it's just matter and nothing else, and we just study, science can only be used to study just, you know, nature without the need of a creator, right? So they turned it into, from a method into then, like, like, like a religion, becomes a religion. So now, as I said to you before, a whole package comes along with this. Once you have only matter to work with, then you start getting all these other philosophies, all of these other ideas, right? So then you start getting all of these um, um, different orientations that come about. So for example, you'll start getting uh, Darwinism, will appear, like that idea had to appear, has to appear, 